Hi, I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome, my guest, Nicole Daos. Nicole is a self-care advocate, caregiver, coach, author, speaker, and a founder of Self for Caregivers. Her mission is to change the story around caregiving and celebrate the journey. I always wonder how hard it could be to have a child that isn't neurotypical. I had a friend who has a child with a rare disease. We drifted apart a long time ago, but wherever she is now, I will always admire her for her strengths, tenacity, and positive attitude when dealing with the struggles of caring for her daughter. Most of us never dare ask how parents feel in these situations, but here is Nicole to explain all that. Here is Nicole honoring the caregiver's role. Listening to her story has helped me to grow more on my compassion and admiration, and she confirms the importance of self-care. Let's enjoy her story. Welcome, Nicole, to the show. I'm very happy that you're here today. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I always love sharing my story as a way to inspire others. Yes. Is that the why of you sharing your story? Yes. Specifically as a caregiver, for me, sharing my story helps other caregivers realize that they're not alone. Yes. What we do as caregivers takes place behind closed doors, and so it can feel very isolating. However, when we share our stories and how we're feeling and the interactions that we have with the person for whom we're caring, it offers great relief to others and it allows for a sense of community because we realize that we've all shared those same emotions. Exactly. And that's why it's so important to share because it always helps others that they may not know that the same thing is happening to many people. True. Yes. And so, Nicole, when does your story start? Well, my caregiving story started about 13 years ago. My daughter, Summer, has a rare genetic disease and autism. I have a son who's almost 16, so I was a mother for a few years and had that under my belt. But then having my daughter really made the distinction between you know, being a mother to a neurotypical child and then having a child with global development delay, which means delays in fine motor, gross motor speech, and an intellectual disability. Wow, that must be harsh. Well, yeah, so many first-time parents will say, there's no manual that came. I had a baby and they let me go home from the hospital. What do I do now? And the same can be said when you become a caregiver. There is no manual, but it's just all of the emotions are intensified. So when you bring a newborn, there's lots of excitement and just pure joy and happiness that you've created this beautiful human being. And of course, there's some stress, you know, you don't get a lot of sleep and depending on their feeding schedule and there's self-doubt that certainly comes with that. And, and then also accepting how your body is changing or managing all of this. And then though with the child with special needs, what surprised me the most was the range of emotions. So this anger, the resentment, the fear, the worry, and then being shameful that I felt anger. 
or resentful or confused, et cetera. So that's just an extra layer of just on the emotion based. And then there's the behavior of that child. That's not their fault. It's just very different than most parents experience. Yes. Well, I can only imagine what happened. Then you have this beautiful baby at home. How does the caregiver story develops? Mm. You know, based on what other caregivers have shared, mine was no different in the sense that I was in shock, I was in denial, and I was in survival mode. And what survival mode means is you're just focused on getting through the day. Any emotions that are really coming in, any signals that your body's sending you, you're not paying attention because you are almost in fight and flight for most of your operating in the sense of, I just need to get through this. Now, the unfortunate part is when you're a parent of a child with special needs, this is a lifelong journey. So you can't operate in survival mode until your caregiver journey ends. And so it took me five years of operating in this head down, I'm just going to figure this out. And I'm going to really ignore everything that I can't process at the moment. And so my body just kind of shut down on me. I was at work at the time in the office, and I had a full on attack. And I had never experienced anything like that before. And what was most surprising is that I had this panic attack at work, which was my safe space. And what I mean by safe space is At work, I was Nicole. I was in control of my files. I could go to the bathroom in peace. I had lunch by myself and I believed I was in control of everything. Where at home, when I was mom and caregiver, it was chaos because I could not control my daughter's behavior. When I had that attack, it became difficult to breathe. I remember like kind of gasping for air and then feeling a sharp pain. And then I could only do shallow breaths. So I actually had a bang on my desk to get someone's attention so that they would know I needed help. So they called the ambulance after about 20 minutes. And then I was taken to emergency. Wow. Now that was the big aha moment because I waited in the hallway for about an hour. And by the time a doctor was able to see me, my breathing had resumed. The pain had gone away. And so I felt I was there. I'm like, yeah, but it was painful. And I was having, you know, trouble breathing. And he basically assessed me, said, look, you're really healthy. You're in great shape. Like, you know, we released you. There's nothing wrong. And I thought, oh, no, there is something wrong because my body was sending me a signal. That's not normal. You know, you shouldn't feel that pain. It shouldn't hurt to breathe. And so that was really the pivoting, the pivoting point for me, the turning point to realize I was in fact control of my own wellness at that point, and that there were no doctors who specialized in supporting fellow caregivers, and that I was the only person responsible for moving forward and figuring out how to start listening to my body, how to honor myself so that I show up for my kids in the manner that they deserve. That's very wise of you. I don't think everybody had the same insights. It was a very dramatic experience that has since stayed with me. To feel pain, to simply try to breathe is is something that, because we breathe all the time and we don't even think of it. 
And so that was for me, as I said, my body letting me know before it had to get to the next stage that I needed to pay attention. So I guess, so thank you. I guess it was wise in the moment. It's true. We mostly like to control everything. That's how we think we have control of the world, but we don't actually. So how could you let go? Is that one part of what you did? Mm, That's a very good point. How we trick ourselves into believing we have so much more control over our lives than we do. And I say at the end of the day, we only control our thoughts and our actions. So that's where I started. I started with being honest with myself about what I could actually control. So instead of focusing on my daughter, I started focusing on myself. And that has been a journey in itself, but focusing on what can I do to make one change to honor myself and to do something for myself that will help alleviate some of the stress, some of the overwhelm that I was feeling as a caregiver. And so what do you do? I decided to start going to the gym three times a week because I knew that for me, uh, cardio was a great outlet. And so I asked my then husband if he would support me in going to the gym. And he was a little surprised because he said, well, if you want to go to the gym, just go to the gym. I said, well, no, no, I'm going to go to the gym at 830 at night because after the kids go to bed and it's February and it's cold and it's dark, I'm not going to want to leave the house. However, if you could just gently remind me, you know, you want to go to the gym and you're going to feel better when you get back, even asking for that help and recognizing that level of support was needed to kind of shift me because it's new, right? How do you start something new? You're changing something. And lo and behold, when I did go to the gym, of course, I felt better. I would sleep better. Okay, I think I'm onto something where it's a positive circle of activity then it makes me want to maybe eat better, look at what I'm feeding my body, how am I nourishing myself? And that was the beginning of my return to wellness, allowing myself to focus on me, always maintaining what I could control. And it was that, okay, I do for the most part control my schedule. This is a choice that I'm going to make for the better. And it worked. And then I just fell in love with feeling better. (laughs) And then what happened? What other step you took? It was little by little, but you know, looking back, it's been seven years. It was the exercise and it started to move towards daily. So when I talk about self-care, I always talk about daily activities, weekly activities and monthly activities because our wellness falls into buckets. As I mentioned at the beginning, being a caregiver can feel isolating sometimes. So I realized that I needed to make a conscious effort of scheduling time with friends. So they're going to the movies, out for dinner, even meeting up for walks, but actually putting that in and maybe it's every couple of weeks and at least once a month. So that allowed me to have that outlet. But a daily basis is more simple. So it could be just getting outside and going for a walk. And even if it's raining, you can still take an umbrella. Just those small steps gives us permission when we start doing that to then look at other ways that we can incorporate small moments of joy into our day. Because for me, self-care is anything that brings you joy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that helps you. So you're taking care of yourself and then you see things differently. That's a really 
Good point. Thank you for highlighting that. Because like anything, it is a journey and we can take one step at a time. So for me, because everyone is very different, I've always been open to learning and personal development. So in addition to going to the gym, asking for help when I need it, hiring someone for respite, it was reading different types of books. It was you know, reaching out and joining groups where the conversation was more positive. It was around highlighting challenges, but then the solutions. It wasn't about just venting and complaining, etc. So these kind of was all happening at the same time, but growing. And so cumulatively, they all came together where I finally got to a place able to look back and go, wow, I believe I come a far way. And I could also see the difference in my personal growth and how it impacted on the relationship with the kids and I and how it had become more harmonious. And then looking around thinking, wow, other caregivers could benefit from this. These small tools and strategies that I've been using and because of my experience as a caregiver, sharing them as a way to inspire to plant seeds, to say, I know you feel stressed and overwhelmed and at the end of your rope, but trust me, try these small things. Just start with one small step and you won't regret it. And so you were giving this advice to people in the groups that you were participating? Yes. I started off with writing blogs because I was able to share how I was feeling much more easily with the pen than, say, talking about my emotions at the time. And then I was receiving feedback on my blogs and I thought, wow, this is helpful. People are resonating with my word or have shared those same emotions. And so I knew in my heart of hearts, that's the direction that I wanted to take. That was kind of my purpose is to support other caregivers, to stay on my own healing journey. I am both a teacher and student of life. Was there a moment where you thought, okay, I have all the tools, however, just lost it completely. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. That's so funny. Happened about a month ago. It was an early Sunday morning. Summer had kicked the cat. I yelled and it startled her. Of course, she responded to my yelling by screaming. And I just thought, Nicole, like you have done all of this work and you are right back where you started. And then I, it took me about an hour of beating up on myself. And then I said, wait, stop. Why did this happen? And I was able to give myself lots of self-compassion and love and said, what if you turn this into a teaching moment? And I had to really remind myself that I'm human and I'm not perfect. And that maybe that was actually the lesson. And so I'm really proud that I was able to turn that day around. And Summer and I were able to spend the rest of the day and have a wonderful time. And I did hug her and I did apologize. And these moments don't disappear because we do more self-care. They will reduce and they won't happen as often. But when they do happen, the bounce back ride. Before, I would have beat myself up for days over that incident. Last month, it only took an hour. So I can say, wow, that is progress. And so instead of focusing on the one thing I did bad, really stepping back and looking at all of the positive things that allowed me to, within one hour, refocus. You're saying that you could still have 
the same incidents with the same intensity, but perhaps not as often. And that's been my experience, yes. Doing the work, making progress doesn't automatically make us immune to our emotions. Our emotions are our GPS. We don't control our emotions. Our emotions are simply like, hey, this is actually how you're feeling. The goal is to not always react to those emotions like anger, try to catch ourselves. But again, we are human. (laughs) Yes, yes. And those groups that you said, you, you bring a point that I noticed they bring venting, but then you're listening to everybody's misery. And then you at the end, I think, well, I shouldn't be here because my problem is not as bad. The groups need to be just a little bit of venting. You're bending for 10 minutes and the rest is all, how can we improve? What can we do next? That's the vision. That's what I have for the caregiver group that I run. It is a place of community and it is okay to share our challenges, but it's always around finding a solution and looking to others to uplift you. So to your point, you always want to feel better when you leave the support system than when you arrive. And it is a delicate balance because part of the comfort and the support caregivers need is the validation piece. And sometimes they really do just want to be heard. And so it's offering that space where they can share those really heavy moments. However, recognizing that once they share that, then they then need to focus on, okay, what can I do to improve to move past, to honor myself. And how do you feel that you needed to be validated? Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think the most interesting part is I rarely spoke about the challenges that I had with my daughter. So there were very few opportunities to feel validated. I believe that no one would understand, that no one wanted to listen. Because I'm usually a glass half full kind of girl, I wouldn't go to a setting and get together and share all of my challenges anyways. Maybe that's part of my writing. That was a way for me to seek validation. Um, and receiving, you know, the readers who's like, wow, thank you so much for sharing. So I think that's how it started. Now, having groups being more in person, it's something that I'm mindful of. How much validation do I need? That knowing, I think that comes with self-love and self-awareness of just what are your gifts and how can you be in service instead of focusing so much on, I need validation. I apologize, but I don't believe that I understand what validation really means. Mm. Being heard in this lens for caregivers, in my experience, it's really being heard and having the person attempt to understand what the environment and experience truly is like. I see. So you started to write blogs and getting people's responses, and then you started to react differently to the situations. This also helped with your older son, probably guide him. Yes, that's always been a lot more work than people realize. It's not a slight for my son at all. What I mean is all of the challenges that 
I, as a mother, have faced, he, as a sibling, has experienced as well. And when I think of it, you know, since the time that he was two and a half, he has been a caregiver in his own right. For him, he said, oh, you know, I'm Summer's big brother, and this is just how she is. But imagine being two and a half, and you wake up in the morning to screaming, and then you go to bed at night at screaming. And three years and years on end. And even now with their relationship, some days he'll come home from school and she'll want to hug him. Other days she'll want to hit him with her iPad. Like there's no rhyme or reason. It's something that I still have a lot of guilt over, even though it's not something I can control. I believe I understand how he's feeling and it's trying to equip him with the tools to be okay with his emotions. For example, A few years ago, Mike was away for eight days. And so before Mike left on his trip, he said to Jordan, okay, you're going to help your mom with your sister. Summer loves her big brother. So a lot of the time when she gives me a hard time, Jordan will come in and say, Summer, get ready, do this. And she'll do it. Uh, Jordan's helping her brush her teeth, get her shoes on, open the door to the car, no problems. And so he was an amazing help for those 10 days. And then Mike gets home. Summer reacts because because, you know, she doesn't understand why her dad's been gone and she acts up. Jordan loses it and he just yells, this sucks. And I said, yeah, you're right. It does suck. And I remember him being really surprised. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, I know this is really hard. You were allowed to be angry and you're allowed to be upset. You just can't act on those. He was mature enough and he understood enough. And I still remember that moment. It felt like it was like he felt validated and heard for the first time. And that me giving him permission to not beat himself up about having such strong negative emotions around his sister. Yes, because I, I feel like you usually are not allowed to think this way and and then you keep it. So that's good. The other part is that he was two when this happens. So for him, it's just how it is, which is different for you because you had many years before you have your kids. It is how it is. True. I mean, and I have a very close relationship with my two brothers, though, and, you know, two of his best friends have siblings. So he's certainly aware that the dynamics that he has at home are very different. Mm, I see, I see. Okay, so you continue. And so what else happened? I made the decision that I wanted to set up my business, Self-Care for Caregivers, and that I was going to put myself out there and saying, I am going to support others. I believe that I can be of value to others. So in 2019, I hosted my first retreat. It was 24 hours It was wonderful. It was located an hour outside of Ottawa in 55 acres of forest. I love retreats. I mean, I love planning it. I love hosting it. I mean, even that in itself, like every part about it. And I was like, it just felt so good. And I thought, okay, yes, this is the right path. Like this is what I should be doing. My purpose is to take what I've learned, help other caregivers And maybe part of it is my communications background that allows me to explain things in simple ways, just the way my brain works. Like I get excited. You were just speaking about grief. I'm currently studying about grief, about intangible loss, and how as caregivers, it's so challenging to grieve and mourn these moments that we didn't have. Because so many people associate it, associate grief with death. There's been no death. There's just been 
the loss of the ideal mother-daughter relationship. There's been the loss of heart-to-heart conversations with my daughter. Those still are losses and they need to be grieved. These are the examples of things that I'm talking about where, where like that excites me. I think, oh my goodness, imagine the support to caregivers to give them permission to grieve these moments and really focusing on we're grieving a moment. We're not grieving our life. I love my life as a caregiver. Summer has taught me so much. Jordan has taught me so much. But that doesn't mean that there are specific things. Like I mourn the sibling relationship that never was. I mourn that we always divide and conquer. We do very few things as a family unit. I do one-on-one things with Jordan and I do one-on-one things with Summer. These are all things that often aren't spoken about because there's shame or guilt But it's uncovering all of these and saying, no, this is actually just part of the caregiver journey and allowing people to to just embrace it and to say, I am not going to compare myself. I am not going to judge myself. I'm going to try really hard at just embracing where I'm at, accepting it and being okay with that. Wow. Let's go back to the retreat. So you, out of learning and doing your blog, decided to do a retreat and that was your first intent? Yes. That's a lot of work. Oh, but it was so fun. Yes. You have two kids to look after. You have a job and then you have time for these and the gym. (laughs) Where do you get all the time? You've just touched on what's work versus what's passion. For me, it's exciting and fun to to put together a schedule to think of how stressed and overwhelmed caregivers feel and say, wow, how can I make them feel really special? How can I spoil them? How can I make them escape the everyday grind of being a caregiver? That's how I approach what I do. And for me, it, it is fun. Okay, great. You did a retreat in 2019? Yeah, pre-COVID. Your group, they are all moms in this similar situation. Yes. In my last retreat, there was a mix. Interestingly, some were moms who were caring for adult children with a cancer diagnosis, etc. Majority uh, are moms. I offer my retreats to all caregivers. Oftentimes, I do work with parents of children with disabilities and autism. But the work that I do is certainly supportive of all caregivers on their journey. Oh, great. Your favorite things are to write blogs and to have retreats. Is there anything else that you do? I published my first book. So let's talk about that. In the fall. A surprise, it's called Self-Care from the Trenches with Love, Humor, and a Kick in the Pants. Nice. And I offer group coaching program. And the book is your story as well? Yeah, it's a mix. It has 10 different chapters and each chapter is a different theme. Theme around validation, worthiness, emotions, setting boundaries. And it's written as bite-sized pieces. As I said, it's written for caregivers. So it's not something that's long. And it's me sharing my personal stories, the story of another caregiver, And then at the end, there's some action items and five self-care tips to inspire. That sounds great. A brief how-to book. Exactly. And I call it a roadmap to self-care. 
Excellent. Great. Yeah. So I'm a coach and um, I've started speaking as well. So offering presentations around self-care to different organizations. When do you start to get your certification for coaching? I don't have a certification for coaching. I'm using all of the tools that I have have worked for me. And I say experience is my teacher. So I'm demonstrating that this is what I did and this is how it's impacted and helped me. All right. All this learning about self-care started how many years ago? Seven years ago. Seven years ago. So from seven years ago to now, how is the picture? How are things that you change? Oh, wow. Yeah, (laughs) I've changed a lot. I believe the best way to explain that is how I feel on the inside. So for me, it's an inner peace. It's an inner knowing. I use the words that like un and re, like uncovering, unearthing, reclaiming, restoring. So what I was able to do is reclaim my happiness. I decided I, you know, reclaimed my or unearthed the seed of worthiness that was deep, deep inside of me. And when I asked in my early 40s, Nicole, are you happy? I heard the answer, no. That began me on a path of, okay, how can we get you to being happy? And that takes a lot of courage. So it's just making decisions over the last seven years where I was honoring myself and not thinking all of the time is, is this decision going to make other people happy? Is, is this decision going to help Nicole along her road of self-care and happiness? Now we're in 2022. I can even look back at pictures and I feel and I can see even in photos the difference that being grounded, having that inner peace and that interknowing that I did not have at the beginning. That sounds wonderful. It is. It it's it it's not easy, but it's it's not that it's it's not hard. Finding the courage to choose happiness and just because it's simple, it doesn't mean it's easy. Because there's a lot of reprogramming that we need to do in telling ourselves how life should look or what we can or can't do. It's been really focused on that. I'm really impressed that you have done your own journey without, I mean, you did say you asked for help, but you are the one who discovered everything. I wonder if people get these changes because something dramatic happened to you, like, you know, going to the hospital, but would it have happened? if you wouldn't have gotten this panic attack? I mean, that's a, that's a hypothetical question. I'm, I believe that looking back and how I was so overwhelmed, and I, I call it my little black box, I literally buried everything that I was feeling away. That's not sustainable long-term. Like at some time, it would have shown up either as a disease or worse, a heart attack. That's the thing. How do you know that you're bearing things or you're just living life? Because on the way to the hospital in the ambulance, all I could think of was the what if. Who will take care of Summer and Jordan? Going back to it, it's a very scary feeling for it to hurt, like pain to breathe. And so that was really that the other part is, I do believe this is my my purpose, is to change the conversation around caregiving 
and it's to support other caregivers. So it wouldn't have happened any other way. But the people that you're meeting now, do you feel that they can say, I don't know what my purpose is? I don't start with that. That is a very, um, I mean, I mean, in addition to self-care, that's a very, you know, spiritual way of looking at the world. And it's a very, you know, having lots of self-awareness and mindfulness. I always meet the person where they're at. And I think that's really important. If I'm meeting a caregiver who's so stressed, I mean, recently someone reached out and said, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm drowning. I'm not going to ask them about their purpose in life. What, you know, she said, can you help with this? And that's where we start. And I think that's what's really important is it's not about me when I'm working with other caregivers or supporting other caregivers. It's really about where they're at, what their pain points are, and how to move them and shift them from that. Just And it's just a little move, just a little move. I call it moving the marker, just a little. So not to overwhelm them. It's really moving them little by little towards feeling of being in control, toward feelings of gratitude and joy. So now you're a caregiver for your daughter and your son, as well as a caregiver for caregivers. Yes. Jordan and Summer are my greatest teachers. Wonderful. So you wrote a book, you have retreats, you're a coach, and you have your blog, as well as you're still working. Anything else that you do that we need to know? <laughs> no, I think that sums it up. But I, I think at the core of that is I do spend a lot of time asking Nicole what she wants. I see. Trying to honor myself. That I know that sounds so simple. It's not. That has been the hardest part of my journey. I, I mean, I turned 49 and I think, my goodness, for decades of not even knowing who Nicole was, that has been the greatest kind of joy. And I'm still uncovering it, a work in progress. However, I know the more I connect with who I am and what I want, like truly, the other stuff happens much more organically and naturally. Who is Nicole now? Mm, yeah, so Nicole now cares less what other people think. That has allowed me to make choices in my life that focuses on what Nicole wants. That means no longer being married. That means making the decision to be a single mom when you have a child with autism and a rare disease. It means not staying in a situation just because it's more convenient. Thankfully, the kids have a wonderful father. It's very amicable and we co-parent wonderfully. So there would be lots of reasons like, well, if it's amicable and you co-parent, then why? And it's like, but, but I deserve better. And I think it's really when you approach life from that lens, what lights Nicole up? What truly makes me happy? Not from a materialistic perspective. And then how can I follow that? And it looks very different for everybody, but I think it's just honoring that. And who was Nicole before? Oh my goodness, Nicole was a lost soul. Nicole was at the bottom of her list. When I got married, I thought that it was Mike's job to make me happy. Imagine the stress that would have put on a relationship in a marriage. Part of me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying that. But that was the truth. It's, it's no one's fault. It wasn't my fault at the time because I didn't know any better. But now I can go, oh my goodness, wow, that's so much conditioning 
And I think it's having lots of compassion is that, oh, I thought my identity was being a wife and a mother. So that was the focus. I constantly felt judged as a mom, tried to then live up to that. You know, you're being judged and then you beat yourself up instead of saying, well, no, I don't need that judgment in my life. And instead we try to always make ourselves look better. Just aware of small things like that. And I think for me, it realized that I would come in contact with people who were happy and like happy people don't judge other people. I'm not saying I never judge other people. What I mean is I'm getting better at it and I'm very mindful and a thought comes and I'll be like, okay, that was very judgmental, Nicole. And then I'm like, okay, but it's that awareness that I am in competition with no other parent. I just try to realize, have compassion that every parent probably feels the same. That's not my purpose on this planet to tackle that problem, how judgmental and mean mothers can be to one another. I'm just going to focus on caregiving and I'm going to try to be the change I want to see. But yeah, the old Nicole was filling the void with other things, doing a lot of shopping. I was buying a lot of things to make myself feel better. Yeah, I'm not buying anything. I don't feel the need. I don't have that void. So instead I just get ideas. I'm like, oh, this would be a really interesting topic for video or for a share. And it's more around how can I unpack these complex ideas around self-care and into bite-sized pieces for caregivers. That's what I'm spending more time on than I want to buy those pairs of shoes or I need this and I need that. I think it's me being much more comfortable. And a big part of it, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, is right now it's aging gracefully. And it's me making the decision and and I, do, I am not judging other women. It's me realizing I'm making the decision to age gracefully and I choose not to judge others who make a different choice. So I used to be very judgmental of people who got plastic surgery, this or that. And I would say, Nicole, it's none of your business. Why do you care? And I realized because then it makes me feel like I should be doing something. All of these women are getting plastic surgery. So I'm like, I'm 48 and I'm single and it's not a level playing field. Like, this is funny, like how we talk to ourselves. I can't control that. Like, I have to let that go. I just have to know, okay, at this moment in time, I am not interested in anything like that. I love my body. I want to age gracefully and I have to let go of everything else. And that's not easy. That's my current challenge. But even that level of self-awareness, huge progress where before I just judged and it's only recently I was able to ask myself, why are you so judgmental? Yeah, that's a lot of inside work. Wonderful. Your example is food for thoughts. Well, Nicole, thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate that you were so candor. Oh, no, my pleasure. I hope it offers comfort to other people. Even if you're not a mother of a child with a disability or autism, I'm sure there are parts in that that are relatable. Yes, that's true. That's true. So we will put all the information of your blog and your book and your retreats in the show notes. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. I hope you enjoyed it today's episode. I am Daniela and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard 
or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This would allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto.